that we did not have an answer for. Known as an unpardonable sin. A sin that there is no excuse for. A sin, Lord, quite frankly, that cannot be overlooked. And your job, your work, your accomplishment took care of that. And so this morning we worship you as we go through your word and as we look at you, O Jesus. We are reminded of that work. So, Father, I just pray that you speak to us, Lord, as we look at your word and your truth. And as we later celebrate together the Lord's Supper, God, may it be that, a celebration. To remember, O God, that work, the perfect work by the sinless Son of God. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Starting off, we come to uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. (laughs) Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So here's Jesus. He's in a house that is a borrowed home of someone else's. It's not his home. And yet there's no room in this place. Uh, there's not even room to move your elbow to stick some food in your mouth. And, of course, there wouldn't be enough food for people unless Jesus made sure of that. Why? Why are there so many people? Because they're desperate. Th- they are people who are hurting and they have heard about Jesus, or maybe they've even been around Jesus previously, and they believe that Jesus holds the answer that they need, that they are desperate for. Word has also gotten out, I am sure, of the fact that he has healed those with diseases. So people are crowding in close to him, and they're wanting just to touch him, just thinking, if I can even be near him, the depths of my problems will be solved. And that Jesus will take care of me. And these crowds, they begin to grow. Um, The leaders were opposed to Jesus. They were against Jesus. They were suffering because they wanted the attention that Jesus was receiving. And because of that, everybody suffered because they looked to their leaders. These religious leaders were supposed to bring them into the presence of God. And and because of being led astray by these leaders and because of the curiosity of Jesus, there was this battle that raged within the kingdom in Israel. There was rebellion instead of revival. There was riot. Instead of repentance, and there would be crucifixion instead of the kingdom that had been offered. Jesus was in a difficult time in his mission and in his work. And yet they said in their talking with one another, could this be the son of David? Could this be the one who is promised? Even his family misunderstood. Look at verse 21. (laughs) The next verse he says, When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. 
So why did they think that Jesus had lost his marbles, that he had gone crazy? Well, he did at least three things that people don't normally do because it is a way to protect yourself. The first thing he did was he willingly threw away his reputation. He was a carpenter, good guy in the community, and suddenly he becomes this teacher. Suddenly he begins to say things that are different, that have not been heard before. And so suddenly people say, what is going on with this guy? What is he up to? What is he doing? Why is he straight into this? One commentator put it this way. He said, most people, the voice of other people, the voice of their neighbors is louder than the voice of God. But Jesus Christ would continue to the will of his Father regardless of what the neighbors said, regardless of what society declared. Not only did he give up that reputation, he gave up his security. Jesus did not have his own home. Jesus did not have possessions that most people had. Jesus did not plan for a long future, a retirement, <laughs> a, a place in the days ahead. So people looked at him and they thought, why is he not making those preparations for the future to take care of himself and his family. And then thirdly, he ignored his personal safety. He found himself locked in a battle with these powerful religious leaders who had the power to make his life miserable. And yet he did not back down from the truth. Yet he did not stop the mission that he was there to do. As a matter of fact, the word here is it says they came. It literally could be translated, they came to arrest him. Now his family came to arrest him because they thought, we've got to salvage him. He's, he's not thinking clearly. And if we can, if we can grab him and, and get him away, maybe we can put some sense into him. I, he's, not, he's not right. But the Pharisees, the religious teachers, on the other hand, they wanted to arrest him because they wanted to be rid of him. It was not for Jesus' good. They wanted to arrest him to make sure that they could retain their power. You see, the, the truth of the matter is, when someone is really sold out to Jesus Christ, that person is misunderstood. Because the, the, the normal desires and wants of, of, of this place, of this world, of this kingdom, suddenly take a back seat. And people think, what is up with this person? Why are they acting like that? Uh, for example, D.L. Moody, a, a famous evangelist of another generation. You know, a lot of us look at him today and we read all these great stories of Moody and we say, man, what a man of God. And, and I'm sure that people really respected him and thought, I, you know, I want to follow Jesus like D.L. Moody. And yet in the newspapers of that day, when he came into a town, the headline would read, Crazy Moody is in our town. That's how he was known. Crazy Moody. What was crazy about him? He was sold out to Christ. And God moved in his life. Uh, often people are misunderstood. You know, out of history, I think of Winston Churchill. You know, he had these classic battles with a political op opponent, Lady Astor. And there's a story that says Lady Astor was so aggravated with Churchill that she said to him, 
Mr. Churchill, if I were your wife, I would put arsenic in your tea. Without missing a beat, Churchill looked her directly in the eye and said, uh, Lady Astor, if I were your husband, I would drink it. Okay. <laughs> and so, misunderstood. People say, why? Why do they act the way that they act? We are different than the world. Jesus says we are called to be set apart and to follow him. And often that is to be misunderstood. And Jesus himself was misunderstood. The religious leaders continued to accuse him. Uh, look as we go on in the text, verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. You see, they had watched Jesus call demons out of possessed people. And they had to know that there's only one who can do that. It's God. But they did not want to admit that this is God. So they came up with another plan. So they referred to him not as God but that his power came from the enemy himself. And Jesus, he addressed that. Notice what he says in the text. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand and if satan opposes himself and is divided he cannot stand his end has come in other words no one who wants to keep a kingdom strong fights against himself and destroys his own power and his own kingdom he's like guys would you just use your brain that's stupid that's dumb that's the todd translation that's not in here but anyway uh you go on further and jesus answers he says and if, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. In other words, he says, the evil one, the one you accuse me of collaborating with, he is weaker than I am. He has to submit to me. In this battle, the reason people are being set free from the control of the enemy is not because somehow I'm working with the enemy, because I've overcome the enemy. I have set them free. I have brought a healing that can only come from God. In other words, all this points to the obvious truth. You're looking at God himself. They did not want to come to that conclusion and admit that, but in truth, there are three witnesses as we look at through Mark that testify to that. The first, of course, is the Heavenly Father. When Jesus was baptized, remember the, the voice that came out, the Father said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So they denied the testimony of the Heavenly Father. They secondly denied the testimony himself of Jesus Christ. Go back up in chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, 
They fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. So the spirits themselves had to submit to Jesus Christ. There was no battle. They shook in fear because they knew who was in charge. They knew who was the ultimate judge. It was Jesus Christ. So they denied the testimony of the Father, and they denied the testimony of the Son of God. And thirdly, they denied the testimony of the Holy Spirit. You see, the job of the Holy Spirit is, first of all, to reveal the truth of God. When we hear the truth of God, it cannot be understood unless the Spirit of God gives us understanding. We're told that in several places in the Scripture. We cannot come to the truth of God apart from the revelation of the Spirit of God opening our hearts and our eyes to the truth of God. But it goes another step. The power of the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of God. But secondly... The power of the Holy Spirit enables us to respond to the truth of God. Not just to know that's the truth, but to make that my truth. To personally come to an understanding that that truth must impact my life. You see, there is a conviction as Jesus Christ presents the truth by the Holy Spirit to our hearts and in turn we have a choice whether to respond to the truth that is revealed to us or to reject that truth. But the choice then lies with each one of us. Either we can choose to believe in Christ or we can choose not to believe in the voice of the Spirit of God that's speaking to us. There's a story of Dr. Webster, a European man, a scholarly man, who was thrown into a prison in France. He yelled for the course of the day, Get me out of here! Get me out of here! The guy in the next cell wants to kill me! Well, this went on for a while throughout the day, and, and finally the prison guard came to him, and, and he said, uh, Dr. Webster, the cell next to you is empty. He heard the voice, not, not of another prisoner in the cell, but a voice inside that was speaking to him, that was convicting him, that was making him face the truth of who he was. And that is the work of the Spirit of God that speaks to us to show us who we are, what our condition really is, and what our needs are. So... That brings us to this issue of the unpardonable sin that Jesus addresses as he speaks to the crowd. He says, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven then. He, he says, there, there are all these sins that will be forgiven, but, but, next verse, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. So what does this mean? I, I have heard uh, through the years this means, you know, basically if you, you cuss out the living God, you know, you start coming up with the worst words you can think of and let him have it. Just attack, zing, 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 God. And God just gets mad and says, I'm writing you off. <laughs> no hope for you. No forgiveness will be available to you. 
But the truth of the matter is, that is not what the unpardonable sin is. So what is the unpardonable sin? Well, I thought about it, I wrote this statement. Uh, it is recognizing the truth of who Jesus Christ is and refusing to receive the truth in the person of Jesus Christ. It is not necessarily one act. It is a lifestyle of rebellion. It is a lifestyle that says no to God. It says, I don't want Jesus Christ. I know He's true, and I know He's who He says He is, but I don't want Him. I refuse Him. As one commentator said, the unpardonable sin is the sin that you will not confess. <laughs> to see the truth, the reality, who Jesus Christ is, and to say no to His love and to His invitation of forgiveness and of a new life and a new start. Now, Jesus continues to invite. Look, look at verse starting at verse 31 of our text. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So what was Jesus saying? Y'all are so worried about me being out of my mind, about not being able to understand me, about trying to get me away from you. But let me tell you, the only way to know the living God, the only way to know forgiveness, the only way to be sure that you are headed to heaven, the only way to know that you have a right relationship with the living God is me. That you belong to me. That you are my sister, that you are my brother, that you are part of my family. Because if you do not belong to me and thus a part of the family of God, there is no forgiveness. That is the unpardonable sin. But when we willingly see the truth that the Holy Spirit reveals to us and respond to that truth that we belong to the family of God through Jesus Christ, then something powerful and beautiful, transforming, occurs that frees us from the unpardonable sin and gives us what our hearts are desperate for. Now, three things are involved in this. First is an experience. We call it an encounter with God. We call it meeting Jesus face to face with Christ. Seeing our sin and seeing our Savior and and and, and it just changes. Guys, there, there's there's you can't even explain it. It's different. It's the work of God. There is an experience. And once that experience occurs, the result of that is there is an interest. 
suddenly this experience has changed everything, and you've got to tell somebody about it. There is an interest to let other people know. I have hope. I have forgiveness. I have, I have new life. I have, I have new opportunity. And it is because of Jesus Christ. Seeing the work of Jesus Christ that changes everything creates a new interest. And that new interest means a new goal. I want to be like. I love Paul's words in Philippians 3.10. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain goodness of God and love of God have a desire for that to know him that's what it means the unpardonable sin is pardoned only through Christ and so that brings us guys to a time for the Lord's Supper because the truth of the matter is the Lord's Supper is for those who have had the experience that has created an interest, that has given us a goal to be like Christ. And, and so we are called to remember Him, to remember Christ. And that's what this is about, what we call the Lord's Supper. Um, in John chapter 6, verse 28, some onlookers say to Jesus, what is the work of God? What does God require? And in John 6, 29, Jesus responded this way. He said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. God's work was done through Jesus Christ. It was accomplished. It was completed. My job, your job, is not to do some work of value like Jesus dying as a martyr our job, Jesus says, is to believe in Him. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, what we are doing is we are identifying with Jesus Christ. We are believing in what He accomplished through His perfect work on Calvary, at the cross. And as we partake, as, go ahead, guys, can you get this open? I always worry I'm not going to get the top part open here because there's two layers to it. Got our little wafer and, of course, this little wafer is symbolic of the body of Christ. Broken for you and for me. That was his work. That was the work of God in Christ. Our work is to believe. And so by remembering through this precious ordinance, ceremony that we call the Lord's Supper, representing his broken body, we say, Jesus, I believe, I believe. Let's pray. Lord, I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Father, as we consider that body broken for us, it's so humbling as each of us know we don't deserve that kind of love. But you held nothing back. You freely 
spiritually sighed unto Jerusalem and quitted there and fulfilled the work you came to do, the work that sets us free from the unpardonable sin. And Lord, as we think of your broken body, we worship and praise you, Father. In your name, amen. And then, of course, the second layer is open up the juice that, of course, represents his blood. He's a lamb without blemish or defect, perfect lamb of God. And it's by his blood shed for us. And I've often thought, man, I, you know, a lot of people may not know what shed is. I've come up with another word, but I don't know how else to really express it other than his blood being poured out on our behalf, shed for us. Uh, the gift, the work of God, so that we might be spared damnation, condemnation. So as we partake, we remember his love. close is uh, two questions that have to be answered. There's really no in-between. There's no choice with these two. The first question, is it possible for a Christian to commit the unpardonable sin? Is it possible that we can lose what Jesus gives to us? Yes, we still sin. Yes, there are still times where we rebel against God. And I don't know how many times a day that is, or more frequent than we would like to admit. But the fact of the matter is, because our work is to believe in His work, we are not going to be judged on the basis of our work when it comes to whether or not we are going to heaven. We will be judged on the basis of have we believed in the work of Jesus Christ. Sent for that specific work, that specific job, and it was accomplished perfectly. And by believing, that work becomes our sufficiency. Our salvation is not yanked away from us because of a daily sin that we may commit because the work of Christ covers the sins we've committed, the sins we are committing, and the sins we will commit. I love Romans 8 verse 1 that says, Therefore there is now con no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Because the enemy, he is constantly condemning us. He is constantly reminding us of where we have been. I love that quote from little Richard years ago when he became a believer. He said, whenever the devil reminds me of where I've been, I remind him of where he's going. You see, Jesus wants us to get here. He took the wrath of God upon himself so that we could be forgiven. Romans 5.1 tells us that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ because of the justification that he has provided through that work. 
that perfect work completed on our behalf. We may at times find our beliefs shaky. We may find ourselves rebellious. There may be immediate times that we feel irredeemable and that we are reminded of our past sins that continue to plague us and torture us. But no matter how dark and damned a person may feel in moments when we run to Christ and when we remember his redemption, it's enough. We are free because of him. And that happens how? It happens through that experience, that encounter with Christ that leads to an interest that is direct evidence that Jesus is living in me and thus to a goal. I want to be like him. I want to follow him. Now, question number two, and we're, we're closed with a message. Is it possible for an unsaved person to commit the unpardonable sin? The answer is yes. It is possible. It is possible to die not believing in the work of Jesus Christ. And that's inexcusable. Jesus refers to it as unpardonable. I love John 6.37 that says, the one who, Jesus says, the one who comes to me I will not cast out. But the one who refuses to come to Christ finds himself in a predicament. But here's the good news. If, if, if you're here or if you're listening through the internet, the good news is if you're listening to this and you're open to this, it's not too late. You can trust Christ at any moment that you have breath, at any moment that you're still on this side of eternity. You have the opportunity to confess your sins and to find the forgiveness and the freedom that comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. That is a possibility. That's the grace of God. But there will come a time where there will not be another opportunity. So when God speaks, may we not say no. Because we don't know how many of those opportunities there will be. And if only we could see and grasp how critical that is. We fight with each other and it seems like we spend so much energy in our culture disagreeing and, and being mad at each other. And, but the truth of the matter is we are all in desperate need of a Savior who died for us on an old tree. It doesn't matter how we may be different. What matters most is how we are desperately alive. We need Him. We need His forgiveness. Let me close with uh, this story. Um, there was a, a man who had been committed of multiple murders. There was question about his sanity. He had a brother who worked tirelessly to, to free him. And he managed, he managed to get the governor a to deliver him a pardon. But instead of taking that uh, to the press and instead of publicly making it known, he decided first he wanted to go to his brother because he wanted to know that his brother was repentant. And so he went to his brother and he said, you know, 
tomorrow they're going to give you the death sentence. You know, they're going to inject that lethal dose and you're going to die. He said, but if you had the opportunity to be forgiven and to leave and to start your life anew, what would you do? And his brother said, well, the first thing I'd do if I got out of here is I'd find every witness that was against me and take them out. He said, I'd go against anyone who worked to put me away and make sure I snuffed out their life. And the brother realized he didn't deserve to die. You know what? That is the case with all of us. We're sinners. We have to be broken and we have to be repentant before we can be freed from the unpardonable sin, before we can receive the mercy that Jesus came to give us to the cross. We have a responsibility to respond to him. And if we miss him, we miss that forgiveness. Guys, if you miss me, big deal. But if you miss Christ, great deal. So as I close and, and as well as I close, a kind of invitation, I should say. <sighs> Don't miss Christ. Trust him. Listen to the voice of the Spirit of God. And what he reveals to you, he empowers you to respond to. Don't settle. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have provided a means to be pardoned. And Lord, I pray that no one miss that because we can enter eternity without pardon. So we, we just cry out to you, Father. Uh, people who are listening, and uh, Father, people who are thinking about loved ones who do not appear to be open to believe in the one God sent. Uh, Father, change hearts, God. Do what we can't do. Holy Spirit, grab a hold of people and show them their true condition and the true cure that is available, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray in this time that we would respond to you, however you may be speaking uh, we just want you to get the full glory, so to speak. In Christ's name.